everybody, and welcome to the weekend edition of the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. We're recording this Sunday evening. Uh, we'll be out Monday morning, probably early, early Monday morning. Uh, if you're listening to it now, then you know that it's already out. And with me to talk about everything from this past weekend is a man who has, I believe, spent the last 37,000 hours in a row watching tennis. Is that correct, Ryan Bailey? Uh, roughly 37,000 hours. That's correct, <laughs> yes. I'm watching a lot of Asian tennis at the moment. Tennis from Asia, I should say. But mm-hmm. can I tell you, Teddy, what I've spent my afternoon doing today? You absolutely can. You'll be very envious. I went to see Peppa Pig live. Wow. That's that's big time. I just by yourself, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't have kids or anything. <laughs> I, just, I just like to uh, I just like to support the arts. <laughs> Tennis and Peppa Pig. You are a classy classy man, my friend. It was friend. good because um obviously Peppa Pig is British and all the actors who are portraying the pig and its mm-hmm. sheep and donkey friends or whatever they are on stage um they're all trying to do right really good english accents they're like hello pepper shall we jump in a muddy puddle governor it was a bit (laughs) it was a bit mary poppins it was mm. why do you think it's always cockney what 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 is that and like historically they use that too in in films and tv shows whenever they need like expository dialogue it's always the cockney accent that comes through to do it it's dick van dyke's fault mary poppins oh that makes so much sense it will trace all lines trace back to dick van dyke I'm, as they should, and I think that's a fair person to start with. And also, I Don Cheadle didn't help the cause in Ocean's Eleven. Uh, well, he that had was... that really bad accent as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's so no reason for him to be English, but nope. choices are choices, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and I guess with that accent, he would probably support one of the teams that we're going to be talking about today, because we've got the weekend review. Obviously, uh, a lot of Premier League to discuss, a little bit of Spain, a little bit of Germany and Italy, and then some MLS to bring us home. Ryan, I want to start with... Uh, There were many surprising results this weekend, so I'm just going to go with the surprising result from Saturday. That would be Brighton and Hove Albion 3, Tottenham Hotspur 0. I did not see the 3-0 coming, even though Spurs have not had the strongest of weeks. Ryan, uh, how surprised were you by this result? I'm pretty surprised. I mean, let's look at it as a positive. For Spurs, they conceded Mm -hmm. four less goals in their previous game. They're on the up. Well, that's good. That's yeah. good. That's always a positive step. But it did seem like we've talked about Pochettino and Tottenham uh, and everything going on there that has been going on there. This felt like another sort of moment of like, maybe this just isn't the season for him at Tottenham. And I heard uh, on Five Live on the way in to record this this evening, one of the pundits was suggesting that like, maybe he just needs to step away. And it reminded me that I think the last person I remember like doing that in a high profile situation was Zid- Zidane, obviously, but like Jurgen Klopp mid-season walking away from Dortmund and just sort of being like, you know what? I'm not going to fix this. Maybe somebody else can do a better job. And I I put it to you, Ryan, is that a thing you think Mauricio Pochettino should do? Or do you think he should try to stay and see if he can turn things around? I think there's no way in heck that Mauricio Pochettino walks away because no manager, no Premier League manager is walking away from a contract when they can get a huge payout and get fired, surely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not saying he shouldn't get fired because that's a whole different story, but Mm-hmm. What manager, I mean, you'd have to be very principled. Is anyone that principled? Mm, I guess Jurgen Klopp being the only one. But <laughs> that so. also, also wasn't Premier League money, to your yeah, point. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess I, I doubt he steps away, but it, it just seems like things have become a bit untenable. And I don't think it's because he's a bad manager. I, I do subscribe, maybe because of my Man United bias, I do subscribe to the idea that he has not been done any favors by the uh, uh, by the board at Tottenham, that yeah. he, they didn't really recruit the way he wanted them to. They didn't get rid of some of the players he would have maybe liked to see them get rid of. Uh, and they never really considered like replacing the 
those players, it seems, to a very serious degree. So it, it does seem like this is a squad that just kind of aren't up for it. Their pressing was very out of whack against Brighton. Brighton, we should note, and we will note, had a very, very strong game. But yeah. I, I was really surprised by just how like lackadaisical Spurs were. So I had thumbs down to whatever ha- is happening at Spurs. Spursy Spursiness coming back, I think, is what it was, basically. I mean, we use yeah. Spursiness as a bit of a joke, but it kind of did come back. As you say, the pressing style... There was no pressing style, completely disappeared in this game. They used to, you know, completely overwhelm opponents. They used to, you know, strangle them and, you know, get them out of matches. And they'd be very physical and very, very tough to get through. There was none of that in this game. And a lot of players had pretty bad games individually. I thought uh, mm-hmm. none of the defense did themselves any favors. Eric Dyer was particularly poor in the back. Alderweireld and Vertonghen, all as a unit, they seemed mm-hmm. like they were working at half speed, didn't they? And They just, really did. <sighs> There was there was like there was a moment I think about fifteen minutes to go where Eric Mel Eric it's easy for me to say Eric Lamella <laughs> had the ball stolen from him and it just looked like he didn't care it was like yeah. the ball was taken he's like oh, yeah you go you take that I'm done with it this, yeah this, and that-, that seemed like the attitude that kind of summed up what this Spurs team are about and I think it's so evident it's been evident for a while but it's so evident that there are problems behind the scenes. I mean, Pochettino's been dropping these hints in his interviews since the summer about how, you know, he's not happy with the the lack of support he's been getting Mm -hmm. financially and whatnot. And we're hearing about all these, you know, potential bust-ups between players and, uh, you know, salacious stuff going on behind the scenes. And uh, quite clearly, quite a few players wanted away this summer. And a lot of them didn't get their wish. And They did did not. Yeah. So so there's a lot of problems here. Yeah, and, and I think the, the the biggest one for me, like the kind of overarching issue, is like I, I've played in a few teams that like have a sort of pressing system, and if you're doing it and doing it well, it works. But if you have one guy, sort of like you know, maybe that's not for him. He's going to try to man mark and not necessarily like like shift off and and trade off marks. It kind of falls apart. And in this case, if you have two or three players who look sort of maybe not at the races, not up for it on the day, and Dombele was kind of all over the place in moments. I agree with you about all the other players you've already mentioned and it just was really surprising to me that like they weren't able to kind of elevate but that said if you have three or four players who maybe in the locker room don't want to be there have mentally checked out or frustrated that they weren't allowed to leave Mm. then that kind of attitude I think spills into your playing style and if you're just kind of like I didn't really want to be here I guess I'm here whatever I'll try that attitude is slightly different than like I'm gonna go out and die for this club because we have a shot at the title or we could go deep in the Champions League and it just seems like that morale has really taken a hit and that's a big thing for a team like Tottenham to have behind them because when they're in form then Harry Kane does things uh it also was not helped by Hugo Lloris Uh, I am gonna give him a like cautious thumbs down because I kind of feel bad giving him uh, a thumbs down for his performance especially given his injury a dislocated elbow uh, is not a fun thing at all no but he's sort of like like his positioning uh, the way he tried to handle like what was I'm assuming a cross that he then sort of didn't realize where he was in relation to the goal tried to keep it out instead falls backward hyperextends the elbow we find later uh, dislocated but like that right there is again representative of Tottenham in my mind that he's had a few different mistakes this season that you don't make if you are sort of 100% focused and up for it. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, I'll blame Lamella once again because that cross, it was Lamella not really bothering to try and stop that cross coming in for a start. So I know I'm tagging him a bit too much perhaps in this. uh, No, not at all. I was trying to remember remember who didn't close down and it was definitely Lamella. I'm pretty sure it was him. 
We should also maybe sing the praises of Brighton uh, because it it was amazing to me. uh, I didn't watch this game live. I watched the extended highlights. And it was amazing to me how a lot of times you expect it to be sort of like, oh, Tottenham had a ton of chances and they just couldn't put them away. And Brighton kind of hit them on the break and maybe added one more at the end. And instead, like Brighton were the dominant team in this one. I think uh, it's a credit to Graham Potter uh, for the adjustments he has made and he made on the day to really cause Tottenham problems. But they looked the better, more promising team, at least on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I'm, I'm giving a big old thumbs up to Graham Potter for this, this transformation he's done. Um, you know, they've gone from that pretty mundane style of play they've been playing for a couple of years and just scraping it and taking a risk with this sort of more ball-playing style. And it's, I mean, it, it hasn't worked all the time since he's been there, but it's really, it shows what they can do. And Spurs flattered them, obviously, in this game for being mm-hmm. completely uncompetitive. It was like night and day how uncompetitive they were. But yeah, yeah just just really good stuff from Graham Potter and, uh, and Connolly as well, uh, the, the youngster mm-hmm. getting a couple of goals in this one. He had a wonderful day, didn't he? He really did. I've got thumbs up to Aaron Connolly, uh, the teenage, I believe, making his Premier League debut as a starter is yes. what it eventually became. They kind of narrowed it down. I think in the very beginning, it was like getting his first Premier League start or his Premier League debut. And then it uh, kind of got more specific as we went on. But a hat trick from him. Uh, I think one of them slightly fortunate, but then two uh, very well taken goals and and just showing like how much. Effort and energy plays a part in your ability to score goals. That it's it's his fight after he like flicks one on that's saved. That then he gets the rebound for the second goal, and then uh, like just to kind of go at that Tottenham defense at the very end and have the kind of technical ability to execute and finish a lovely finish. It was hard work, but it was technical ability and uh, a really really strong performance for has, a youngster um, who has he impressed you so much that you've invented an extra goal for him? I thought he scored two. Oh, I thought it was a hat trick. Was it not a hat trick for him? So. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a hat trick. Well, then maybe he has. Maybe he has. He deserves thought- one. Yeah, I mean, he did. He was in there. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is producer Taylor jumping in to let you know that host Taylor was incorrect. Host Ryan was correct. Neil Malpe uh, got the first goal for Brighton. Then Connolly got the second two. Although, really, we should have given him the hat trick. But either way, Ryan is right. Host Taylor is wrong. End of talking from producer Taylor. Uh, but but uh, he has impressed Ireland enough that he's gotten a senior call-up to the Ireland national team. So a teenager uh, scoring some goals, be it two, be it three, even four, if he'd scored four. Still, uh, a strong performance from him, uh, yeah. certainly. Anything else from uh, Brighton v Spurs before we move on? Um, I will give a little thumbs down to Tim Sherwood, who in commentary said, um, he, when speaking about Hugo Lloris and his mistake, said that he would hold his arms up if he could, but of course he can't hold his arms up. Not only is that a joke in pretty poor taste, but the phrase is hold your hands up, not your arms up, Tim. Come on. Come on. Well done, Ryan. Well done, Ryan. Take him to task and also correct his grammar. Well done. I like it. I like it. Uh, let's move then to Liverpool-Leicester, a yes. result that Liverpool fans certainly enjoyed. A 2-1 win at home for Liverpool. It's not like quite a come-from-behind result because Leicester were only able to equalize, but that Liverpool were able to turn around and find a way to win emphasis on finding a way uh, is a is a strong mark of, again, their kind of continued determination, maybe looking a little bit more focused than their title rivals. Mm. Uh, we'll talk about them uh, in a little bit. Ryan, where are your thumbs in this game? I'm putting some big thumbs up for Liverpool because they are good at soccer. We've established this well done. Yep. They're winning loads of games. I think that they were quite wasteful in this game, though, mm-hmm. because obviously the, the fir- they're playing sublime style and the first half was excellent, wasn't it? But, I mean, Milner, Mane, uh, Firmino, I think Van Dijk mm-hmm. had a header. All, they, they, could have, they could have scored a lot more goals than they did. Um, and 
I actually had this down for a draw. I did a preview of this game. I had it down for a draw because I thought the way that um, Salzburg in the week got, got three here would give uh, Leicester some heart. And I think it was 1-1 last time they came to Anfield as well. But but Liverpool were definitely the better team here. Although, well, I suppose Leicester need credit because they, they defended pretty resolutely, mm-hmm. didn't they? they? They they really sat back and had a minimal amount of possession and made the most of it and very, 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 very nearly got away with a point from Anfield, which is which would have been very good. So uh, you texted me, I believe, earlier in the day that like if Liverpool don't win it this season, they're never going to win it. Yeah. Uh, is that is that about how you feel? I think that's definitely how I feel. I mean, if they can't, the advantage they've got over City, particularly with their result, which I'm sure we'll discuss shortly. Mm-hmm. If they can't do it with this kind of the, the canter they're on right now, what what kind of platform are they going to need to get get a title out of this Premier League? I don't know. Sure, do you agree with me? I absolutely do. And it's, and it was interesting to me the way this, re- like, this result was talked about, like, uh, both on social media and I, in a few podcasts I listened to, as though, like, Leicester City are a weak team that Liverpool eventually were able to find a way through, but, like, you have to ask questions. It's like, no, that Leicester are fourth and have looked very good this season. Mm. What are you talking about? So, I, I've, not you, you, you have said nothing that I would disagree with, but just <laughs> the way sort of Leicester were talked about as though they were, you know, some like mid, mid, like lower half of the table team was very surprising to me because I think to your exact point, the how disciplined they have looked, how strong they have looked, how good Soyunju has looked coming in for Harry Maguire. I, I think they are a very difficult animal to deal with. And that Liverpool eventually found a way to get the result, uh, is, is obviously a strong sign of where Liverpool expect to go. I should add, there is, you know, there is the question about Sadio Mane. Uh, I do still have thumbs up for him because of everything he offered in this game. The Ooh. really lovely one-two with uh, Mohamed Salah, but obviously his goal itself. He was a little bit wasteful maybe at times, as you mentioned, but then ends up earning the penalty kick, uh, and much has been made of this one. Most of the pundits I have seen have said it was a soft penalty at best, but probably should not have been given. I, I am... I am not inclined to watch it 400 times uh, the way I do do certain decisions. So I've only watched about 20 times. But I say I'm not too upset about it. Uh, maybe that's because I'm neither a Leicester fan nor a Liverpool fan. So whatever. But to me, it goes back to like uh, our former co-host Albert had an old adage of like, don't make the referee have to make a decision. Mm. And if you're Leicester, if you deal with that and play a little bit smarter, that was just that one little mental lapse. And then they end up having to scramble and then you end up conceding a penalty. I think if you are making the referee make a decision at Anfield in the dying minutes or like near the end of the game, you're basically always going to be sort of maybe giving the benefit to Liverpool there that that penalty is probably going to be called. So I don't have as much of an issue with that. And so I am giving Sadio Mane a thumbs up. So where do you actually stand on the decision? Do you think it should have been a penalty? <sighs> uh, yes, I think it probably should have been. Even though, even though I am surprised... By the way, VAR is intermittently used and then not used for some of these decisions. Right. I th- but I think the way he cuts back, it's always, especially in super slow motion, when he, like, uh, the match of the day folks, for example, were, I think, pointing out that, like, oh, he takes a step after the contact is made and you shouldn't be able to do that. But I just think it's really difficult when you slow it down to see how much just a tiny little bit of contact matters and changes the way your stride is going to be, the length of your stride or the, or like even just the like placement of the foot when it comes down and it has and it has a result so i think a bit of a touch there is maybe embellished by Sadio Mane, but i yeah. think embellishment isn't necessarily the same as diving yeah i i can agree with you i can say i, I can agree that was a soft penalty and i can i can have no issue with the fact that it was given because you can look at it at the end of the day he was trying to flick the ball back to was it for me no possibly following up mm-hmm. and you know he was impeded from doing so 
So that's a foul. I can kind of see that. But I'm giving thumbs down, Tay-Tay, to VAR mm-hmm. for calling it. That's fair. I mean, I, 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 let's, let's be honest. The referee gave it and VAR backed up the referee. So mm-hmm. we can't ha- have, a, have a problem with that. But I think my issue is what you mentioned just there is consistency. Let's rewind back to David Silva against Bournemouth when he kind of mm-hmm. got his foot stepped on in a kind of similar manner. VAR oh, it. that's a really good point. He I hadn't thought about that one. He didn't get the call. He didn't get the call from VAR. No, very, very similar situation. I see that as kind of a lack of, lack of consistency. If VAR is supposed to be brought in to bring in consistency and be this, you know, ironclad, this is the answer to a foul in the box, it's not doing that. It's just bringing another human opinion into it. And yes, as I say, this was backed up independently by the ref mm-hmm. and VAR in this instance at Anfield. And, you know, the same thing happened in the Bournemouth game with Man City, mm-hmm. but different results. And I just think if you're going to have a system like this, it's just kind of, this, this is kind of showing it, it, its weakness, isn't it? It is. I, I, I'm assuming it all connects to like the original decision or what the referee thought he saw or didn't see. Uh, but I'm with you that like, and that David Silva one, I know you have a little bit of a Man United or Man City bias, certainly not a Man, Man United bias. Uh, but like, but I would say that was, that was a stone cold penalty significantly more so than Sajamane's. Like, so like, I take your point that that should have been given. And like, if, if the Sajamane one is being given and that does, even if there is more nuance to it, just it feels like it's inconsistent. It feels like it's still a kind of confusing, like the nuances matter in a way that we kind of thought they wouldn't. So I'm with you for the thumbs down. I like it, Ryan. I like that approach. Oh, thanks. And also, You're yeah, I, I just want to say, yeah, Leicester did a really good job here. They had one shot or attempt on goal and they scored it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> they were very, very defensive. I think, I think Liverpool ended up having 10, which they yeah. were very wasteful. Um, but, you know, the, the result probably went the right way in the end. And my final, with that in mind, my final thumbs up goes to James Milner, aka James Milner, because stepping up for Liverpool, who have had like different uh, slip ups, literal and figurative, uh, in the past seasons that like prevented them from challenging for the title or outright winning the title, uh, for James Milner to step up in the 95th minute, I think it was uh, 90 plus five, and just bury that penalty, like that level of calmness has to make you feel reassured if you're a Liverpool fan. And I think I'm inclined to add him to our list of like people we want taking penalties for our Ryan and Taylor All Star team. I think Robert <laughs> Lewandowski is one, and maybe James Milner is two. Oh, I think, yeah, Harry Kane might have something to say about that. But yeah, also I, Harry Kane, I maybe, definitely yeah. put James Milner up there. Agreed. Uh, nerves of steel in that situation. Well, I don't think Harry Kane is allowed to shoot the ball anymore. I think that's how it works. He just has to stand sort of in the opposition half and hope that somebody will pass him the ball. That seems to be the new plan. So, But if he ever gets one, then we'll get it. Stands out there in the middle thinking, oh, I don't want to go back in that dressing room. It's horrible in there. <laughs> Nobody likes anyone. Oh. Well, if he were to maybe buy a ticket to the game, then he wouldn't have to go to the locker room, which is my way of letting our listeners know that today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Ryan, can can you tell us a little bit about SeatGeek? SeatGeek is wonderful. It's a ticket company where the customer comes first Mm -hmm. with more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. It's a ticket reseller, Tay-Tay. Basically, you can get your sports (laughs) on there. You can get your theater ticket. You want to go see Peppa Pig live? You can probably get it on SeatGeek. Haven't checked, but probably can. And uh, it's it's one of my favorite sites for doing this kind of thing. The thing I love about Mm. it, Tay-Tay, is the scale rating of 1 to 10. If mm-hmm. a seat is a good deal or not. For example, on my birthday, the old Carolina Panthers, my local American football team, are playing mm-hmm. the Tennessee Titans, been looking at some tickets today. Seeing oh, what yeah? the good deals are. Seeing what the bad deals are. Concluding that the tickets are all quite expensive, but there's some very good deals on SeatGeek. 
There, there are indeed. Why uh, are are you? Have you like been uh, an American football fan? Or are you deciding you're going to get into it more and more? I know you like the tailgate aspect of it. I'm going. I'm going native, as I mentioned off air to you. Uh-huh. I said the what, the phrase "y'all" in a yeah, you in, did. in a professional meeting earlier this week. So I think it's just natural that I should start attending these kind of events. I think you should. And, and as you said earlier, SeatGeek uh, makes that easy. And it also gives you the confidence to know that you've got a solid deal and a solid ticket because green dots mean good deals. Red dots mean that they're overpriced. And obviously, everything is guaranteed. So you can shop for, with confidence knowing that you're not going to show up and find out that your ticket is completely invalid or fraudulent or something like that. I like to use the SeatGeek app uh, to sort of just sort of see what shows are coming to town or what events are coming to town because we tend to get a decent amount of comics coming through. And I like stand-up comedy. So to see who's coming through it at the various venues around here, SeatGeek makes that incredibly easy. And as you said, they also offer you potential discounts, such as the $10 our listeners can get with their first SeatGeek purchase. Ryan, how can they do that? Uh, if you want $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase, all you have to do is go to SeatGeek on the App Store, on the app, on, on your phone, I should say, or on, <laughs> or on the interwebs, wherever promo, you want. <laughs> wherever you want, promo code <laughs> TSS. That's for $10 off your first purchase. So, Tato, your comedy, is it, is it someone like... Like T.J. Miller, he's always on tour on the, in the provinces. What, what kind of comedy are you into? T.J. Miller is a, a little uh, insane for me he's in wacky. a number of different ways. Yes, and then also some of the allegations against him didn't seem great. Uh, so I'll leave it at that. Huh. Uh, I do love John Mulaney. I'm a big John Mulaney fan. Oh, I do love yeah. Bill Burr. Uh, the last time he came through Richmond, it wasn't his strongest set. But uh, I still haven't seen his newest Netflix special, but it sounds like it's, uh, it's pretty solid as well. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. I'm trying to think. Are you, are you a comedy person? I like to laugh. Okay. <laughs> well, were you laughing at Man City's results? I'm assuming you were not. Oh, very much. You are the master of segues, by the way. You were <laughs> I mean, like a little, little that one was a little you those segues beautifully. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I'm, a, I'm an obnoxious tourist in downtown. That's right, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Pointing at things uh, with your phone. <laughs> Manchester City uh, lose at home 2-0 to Wolves, and I'm starting off uh, on a negative because I want to say thumbs down to City fans. I really do. Fans? Um, yeah, like, I just that when it's their team's 1-0 down... The City are fans. I mean, well, the people who were there. Right, go ahead. How about that? The, the people who theoretically paid money, and hopefully you see Geek, to get those tickets. Um, I'm, although I'm not sure that actually works, but, you know, try it, see what happens. Um, but just the <laughs> idea that when up. your team is... Yeah, it should work. Um... But when your team is 1-0 down, I would argue that like that's when they need the support the most. That's when you've got to be the most vocal because I do think that there can be that sort of chemistry, that sort of energy that everybody's cheering and up for it and the atmosphere is loud and, and your team kind of responds to that. Mm. City on the day were very wasteful, not nearly as sharp as we have seen from them. And maybe just a bit more backing would have been solid. But the number of blue seats that I saw with like five minutes left, it, it was genuinely surprising to me, even though that's something we've seen before. It just seemed to me representative of the way this season is going to go for Man City that always difficult to win back-to-back titles, even more difficult to win three in a row. And some of that like fan complacency, it does seem like is part of this Man City squad right now. I have a feeling some of that will be drilled out of them by Pep Guardiola, but the fans not being there was a little bit representative of, uh, I think, Man City's performance on the day as well. Yeah, you're quite right there. I mean, uh, the, the, you did see the stadium start to empty out after Troyer got that first goal, which was in the 80th mm-hmm. minute. You'd think that a team like City might be able to stage a comeback from that, uh, and the fans might want to stick around. And to be fair, City fans uh, aren't known for their hardiness in that respect. So oh, no? This is, this is something that's not necessarily new, but speaking mm-hmm. of 
of a, a lack of hardiness. I think we saw quite a bit of that on the field as well, didn't we? Lots of uh, fairly yeah. mundane performances from Man City in this one. I, I think there's a lot of similarities with the way Spurs played. Quite lethargic in many in many instances, and quite a few players playing well below themselves. Uh, I don't have, and with that in mind, I don't have thumbs up or down for this one. I'm just going to say it does feel like the the soccer gods have sort of turned on Manchester City. That there seems to be this idea, like enough is enough, like no more fortunate bounces. Uh, you're going to hit that with slightly too much the outside of your foot, as opposed to like last season when you'd have smashed into the back of the net. It just those little moments of like clinical precision that we saw from uh, City very consistently last season, and obviously the season before, and we have seen at times this season, but not to the level that you need to really just reliably finish some easy ones and like kind of kill the game off early. Instead, I think City getting more and more profligate became more and more stressful, yeah. became more and more less focused on the goal as opposed to like needing a goal, but not necessarily focused on how to create one that leads to one of those just kind of easy tap-ins after they've completed 46 passes in a row. Yeah. Uh, and so just a little bit of that wastefulness, it, it really seemed came back to, to bite City, obviously because of the loss, but also because it could be a potentially big one given uh Liverpool winning and now potentially poised to, I think, equal their Premier League wins record there being Man City's when Liverpool play Man United, a game that I am not looking forward to. So instead of talking about that, or at least uh, until we talk about that, Ryan, where were your thumbs from this game? Uh, I got I got a, a, a thumbs up for Wolves for winning this game with 24% possession. It's absurd. <laughs> it's pretty absurd, <laughs> isn't it? And against Man City as well yep. at home, uh, a very rare feat to achieve. But in the same way, I'm going to give thumbs down to City's, not only their defensive pairing, their defensive line, mm-hmm. but also the midfield. And we're obviously, it's a bit trite to talk about the defensive pairing, Fernandinho and Otamendi not covering themselves in glory once again in this one. I mean, for the for the first goal, um, it, was, it was Cancelo who gave away the ball. And then Jimenez ran through Otamendi, literally like he wasn't there. It was like some sort of FIFA glitch where Otamendi put this <laughs> put this challenge in and it just didn't even touch him. Nope. And then Trari with that really nice finish on there. But obviously, yeah, yeah Otamendi uh, not doing himself any favours there. Cancelo getting the nod over Zinchenko, I suppose, because Ben Mendy got that um, mysterious, uh, another injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the, but not just the defensive line having issues there. The way for both goals, because the, the ball was given away in almost exactly mm-hmm. the same area of the field for both goals. And it seemed like there was no midfield support at all. No one was kind of tracking at all. And the, the, the Wolves were able to bypass City's usually resolute midfield very easily to get it up the other end. And that was sort of indicative of their lethargy, I thought, mm-hmm. from this entire performance. Yeah, because you're used to them sort of having the ball, but it really fizzing around the top of the box from left to right and back and forth. And while doing that, City still managed to kind of keep decent positions so that they have people where they need them to be for the exact thing that you're talking about, that sort of aggressive counterattack. And here, both goals, really, it's it's almost shocking how much space those Wolves players had and how much time they had on the ball. Jimenez, Jimenez excuse me, obviously does very, very well to Eludo to Mendy, but even for the second, for uh, Traore's second, again, it's just so much time and space mm. in that counterattack that it speaks to, I think, City being out of sorts that they did didn't have the people where they usually would to sort of counteract that counterattack. Yeah, yeah, big, big problems for City. And by the way, next week, oh, sorry, not next week, after the uh, international yawning mm-hmm. um, for the next <laughs> week or so, um, it's uh, Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park is the next game. Palace, of Oof. course, being the last team, I believe, to beat them at home before Wolves. And uh, right. Palace doing reasonably well under Big Roy. So uh, that should be a bit of a challenge for them. 
Uh, I prefer Uncle Roy, but Big Roy's fine too. Big Roy, Why sorry. not? Why I, not? I confused Big Sam and Uncle Roy a little bit there. I apologize <laughs> for that. But I mean, this, this, this could be just the wake up call. And perhaps this international yep. break is perfectly timed for this team. Mm. And I think this could, I mean, for all we know, for the way this season's going and its unpredictableness, this could be the wake up call for like a 40 game winning streak now. Who knows? So that. It could be a wake-up call for Manchester City. Uh, I think Manchester United have now had 12 straight wake-up calls, I think is the number. Uh, Man United losing away at Newcastle 1-0. Uh, a great goal for Newcastle coming from Matty Longstaff, which I was, I am surprised to say was like my thumbs up moment from this game. Mm. I was, it genuinely made me emotional when he scored that goal instead of just furious. Like seeing him get mobbed, seeing him very close to tears, it seemed when he was being mobbed. And then afterwards, like the kissing of the badge, obviously from Newcastle, a teenager, like starting alongside his brother and scoring is, uh, is pretty phenomenal. And a, it was a genuinely emotional moment in an otherwise horrific thing. Yeah. I'm literally getting a bit of tingles. You just describing it. I mean, it, it is beautiful, isn't it? You've got sort of localist lad Steve Bruce on the coaching mm-hmm. the team. He's put these two brothers in oh, there. Yeah. That kind of whole story. And we know that Newcastle fans have been through it time and time again. And to get this kind of result is really, really wonderful for them. And they are a great, um, a great organization when, when they get it together like this. But can I, yeah. can, I, uh, can I read you out a little list here? Sure. Toy Story. Uh-huh. A Night at the Roxbury. Uh-huh. Fruitvale Station. Oh, no. Run, Lola, Run, or Lola Vent. Um, uh-huh. This is Spinal Tap, Sexy Beast, A Razor Head. All these movies are 90 minutes or less. All of those films, you're better off watching them than watching Man United. I've watched, <laughs> I've watched several because my father-in-law has been staying with us in the last few weeks. And a Night at the Roxbury. A Night at the Roxbury. You're saying that's better? Than, okay, it probably is. Him? Me? Him? Yeah, oh, come on. It's amazing, that, is, that movie. Great. I don't know. I, watching Paint Dry may be better than watching this well, Manchester United definitely better than right watching now. Manchester United. You can give me that, surely. But I'll say, yeah. I've had to watch a lot of Man United. I had to watch the Europa League game earlier in this week. Oh. The indignity of it all. So you were the one. Seriously, I, I feel like I, I might be halfway through my life at this point. You don't, you don't get a long time on this mortal coil. <laughs> and to spend so many times watching a Man United side in the past, let's call it the past, you know, five or six years... Why are we doing this? Why do we do it? Why am I watching this? Why am I watching, spending so much of my time watching this team that I really don't like watching? Because you, you started doing the weekend review with me, my friend. <laughs> welcome, welcome to your nightmare. Uh, also, nicely done quoting the bard there. Well done. Uh, I don't want to overreact here as a Manchester United supporter, uh, but I'm going to say thumbs down to everything forever and always until Ed Woodward is fired and the Glazers are launched into the sun. Reasonable. Is that fair? Yeah, I like that. Okay. Cool. I mean, obviously there there are problems on the field, but what you're alluding to is that there are big problems off the field too, and we've discussed this before. And I'm sure we'll discuss it again. You know, they, they, this is a team who promised yeah. they would get a finance uh, finance director, <laughs> a football director, a director of football. <laughs> I mean, they could use both, so that'd be fine. <laughs> well, the problem is they've probably got a finance director who's signing all the players and somebody who's got no experience ah. of, of of the game. So that's probably a key problem they've got. They've got you know the continual issue of the Glazer ownership and the way they might be taking the dividends out of the club, not necessarily doing what they should be. Not that this club aren't spending, but they're spending badly. You know, mm-hmm. I've got. I got thinking about as well as you know when you see those like soccer shop graphs of the the shirts that are sold the most in the US mm-hmm. and Man United always seems to dominate in a lot of states but which kids are going to be buying Man United shirts when they show up on Saturday mornings and they're watching the NBC coverage it just feels like the United sort of as a brand as loath as I am to use that term feels a bit a bit like a relic in it really does it, it yeah. feels like a bit out of touch doesn't it and it feels like 
they're doing nothing to help themselves. If if this if all the uh, object is here to to return money to shareholders and to keep keep push, you know, Edward Wood doing what he does financially, it just feels like it's not very long term if you're not doing <laughs> it on the field because the kids aren't going to be interested in this nonsense, are they? No, I mean, and the kids that are currently employed by Manchester United seem to be only infrequently interested. <laughs> um, I, I would say this, like to your point about jersey sales. Uh, Two things there. Number one, like I think you're correct that there is not a player on that team like Paul Pogba, maybe David De Gea, maybe in terms of like world class standouts. But even then, De Gea is a goalkeeper that always kind of limits appeal, which is a weird thing to say, but it is kind of true. And then uh, Paul Pogba having the season he's having and sort of also seeming similar to some of the players at Tottenham, maybe like he doesn't necessarily want to be at Manchester United anymore. Mm. Uh, that limits the appeal. And so then what it comes to is I, I actually kind of thought about this not quite in the Jersey vein, but but in a development vein to like looking at Liverpool and like Mohamed Salah was a somewhat proven thing, but also was a Premier League failure when they signed him. Sadio Mane is a player who some people know a lot about, but is definitely not that world class soccer icon that you maybe think of him as now. And I, it's about like how much they develop under the manager and how much they work. And you could say that about James Milner, Trent, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, uh, Andy Robertson, like all of those players have risen to the occasion. And so even if they didn't start off being those massive high-profile names that you want on the back of a shirt, how much they've improved and how hard they work for that team, I think that then justifies even some of the lesser-known players. And I contrast that with Manchester United, and there's there's really very few players, I think, right now who bring that same drive and level of energy and just general enthusiasm and joy that you see from Liverpool, from City, from, a, from a, some of the other exciting teams in this league. So, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to be selling too many jerseys, uh, especially if they keep kind of changing them but keeping them the same and making them increasingly boring all at once. Yeah. I mean, there's no kids in Ohio who want McTominay on the back of their Man United shirt. You don't think so? I don't think so, unless they're named McTominay. No, they're not. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. By the right. way, um, speaking of, uh, uh, of my father-in-law, the mm-hmm. avid Manchester United fan who literally mm-hmm. wears his shirt every time we watch the games at home, um, he, 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 one of his takes, which might be one of the all-time worst takes I've heard when we were watching the Europa League game earlier in the week, was they should never have sacked Louis van Gaal. Ooh. Wow, that's a deep. That's that's when, like even more hipster than they never should have sacked Mourinho. That know, seems to be the he, new hipster statement. It's like he elevated the never shouldn't have sacked Mourinho wow. level to the next thing. And like, where does your mind have yeah. to go? How much have you been suffering in recent months that you have to conclude that you never should have sacked Louis van Gaal? Good lord, that's a that's a hot take. That's a hot take right there. Spoiling that's up there with like maybe David Moyes should have been given more time. Probably not. Should um, never have sacked Ron Atkinson in 1983. Tell you what. That would that would have done it. That's it right there. He bring him back, get him in there. Uh, they may well do that. We'll see. Uh, one more Premier League game to talk about: uh, Southampton falling at home to Chelsea, a four to one win for Chelsea. Uh, and I think most people can probably guess where we're going to go with this one because I'm giving thumbs up to Christian Pulisic, the pull assist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the pull assist. He gets the assist for for uh, Michi Beshwai for the fourth goal, I believe it was. Although we've already established in this show today that. Uh, my track record when knowing who scored and when is not great. <laughs> no, I think, I think you nailed it that time, though. Don't worry. But but I'm also going to say thumbs up. Not just, like, the assist is excellent. It's kind of a reverse pass through traffic, finds Bachwai. He finishes emphatically. Mm. But I'm giving thumbs up to the choreographed handshake after that great assist. Ooh. Because this is a little thing, like, uh, like 
longtime listeners may know, I, I buy in to celebrations a lot. And if the whole team is celebrating, if you've got that player running off the bench to scream and they're up for it, it shows you how it, like intense they are about it. And with that in mind, a choreographed handshake is not a thing you do if you're really, really mad that you're not starting every game. You're, you're like, if you, if you feel like you've been hard done, if Pulisic is at odds with Frank Lampard or is unhappy in his situation, I feel like he plays that ball and then walks back to midfield, running over and doing the choreographed handshake, which probably predates Chelsea because uh, Pulisic and Batshuayi were together at Dortmund. That's probably where that starts, I'm yeah. guessing. They seem to have a pretty strong relationship, but it was a moment of like, you don't, do like a happy celebration with your teammates for a fourth goal and a four to one win if you are sulking about your lack of playing time. So that made me feel more optimistic about Pulisic at Chelsea than I've been in quite some time. Yeah, but on the other hand, he only played 10 minutes of this game. <laughs> I'm going to drag you right down to planet Earth. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, he did only play 10 minutes. Uh, this is his first minute since August, I guess, wasn't it? Um, I, I don't know. I still feel like he's reasonably low in the pecking order although evidently is keeping the positivity up i mean what do you i'll tell you what there's a there's a story in the mail um mm-hmm. that says and i know we shouldn't take anything they say as gospel but we sure shouldn't <laughs> we sure should maybe we shouldn't even mention them but he's uh the, the story's saying that pulisic will consider his future in january if he doesn't get oh more God. minutes is that a hotter take than shouldn't have fired louis van hal i'm not sure I mean, it's a clickbaity take for sure. <laughs> I, I don't. I think. I think the Van Hall one might get me to click more because I don't believe that story about Pulisic. But I do kind of want to read the lunatic logic that ends with Louis Van Hall being the solution or the possible solution had they have not cut ties too uh, prematurely. I wish they bring him back. Oh, I really do. But I, th- I mean, what, where do you see the path for Mister Mister P here? Do you, you think he's getting a bit more on the cameo uh, based on based on this, based on the evident positivity he has? And positive yeah. work, work rate as well. I mean, I, I think... Wait, wait, hold on. What's your question? <laughs> well, <laughs> I just want to make sure I understand it before I go off on a long Do monologue. Do you think he's going to play more? Uh, I, think, I think he... All right, let me phrase this properly. I hope he will, and I think he will, not solely based on this performance, but like... He is still very young, and he is playing for a very high-profile team in what I would argue is the most high-profile league in the world. So... For him to like work very hard and fight his way into getting the cameo, like consistent cameo substitute appearances, and then starting to get a few intermittent starts because he works very well and starts kind of learning the system and doing what Lampard wants, that is my hope for him, and it's what I feel like he he has done at times previously. So I'm hoping that's what we'll see from him here, and then adds another kind of skill set to his utility belt or what tool to his utility belt, and like like basically shows that he can adjust to what's being asked of him. So I think part of that is definitely hopefulness as opposed to like anything coming from like sources indicate or anything like that but mm. I- i'm gonna say yes he gets more minutes and also acknowledge that that could also just be helpful yeah and he can't get any fewer minutes to be fair well, there's also that the, the only way is up in the way uh, certainly but let, <laughs> let's give credit to the entire chelsea team here there were some great performances um throughout I mean, hudson adoy was excellent wasn't mm-hmm. he in this one um yep Abraham, that finish, that lob finish for the first goal was very nice. And Willian, I thought, had a, one of his better games mm-hmm. uh, in recent memory. Lots of pressure he's putting on, particularly that second goal, pressuring the keeper to, to start that movement as well. And it, it does seem that, you know, Chelsea fans are very happy at the moment. And th- there's a lot of reasons to be happy, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be too, like, hot takey here, but I would say to your point about Man United and, like, who you want in your jersey, at the beginning of this season, when Chelsea lost uh, to Manchester United 4 0, mm-hmm. 
like we had this like conversation about like are they actually a like Premier League quality side? You look at some of the names that were starting for them at that point, and it felt like like the, is that that much better than Cardiff for somebody like that? Like of, of seasons past, and now I look at them and like there's a lot of names that if you're a Chelsea fan from that team and how hard they've worked and how good Tammy Abraham has been and what he represents, yeah. like like you want those names in a way that I think you probably didn't at the start of the season. So. I don't know if all the credit goes to Frank Lampard. A, a, a good chunk of it probably does. I did not see them rounding into form this quickly, if at all. So that they have is, I would say, one of the more remarkable things about what has already been a fairly remarkable season. Yeah, and I think I think Lampard deserves credit because he's created a team that fans feel they can have an identity with. And I think you mm. look at someone like Jorginho, who was very much... well certainly as the season went on last season, became a bit of a villainous character. And now he's kind of, he's had this redemption story almost. And I I like seeing him play in the same team as Kante as well, which is something that people Mm -hmm. wondered why on earth that wasn't happening last season. So it seems like some good decisions are being made, lots of them forced on them, such as starting all the youngsters. But yeah, it's hard to dislike this team, isn't it? I've always kind of disliked Chelsea, if I'm honest, and it's hard to do that right now. I just have to keep reminding myself that it's all because of a transfer embargo that factors in massively here. Yeah. But yeah, Pulisic finally getting some minutes, uh, getting his name, I guess, as an assist on the score sheet. I forget how that works because it's always misleading. But And then, yeah, like Tammy Abraham especially, that's a person we saw. I saw play here in Richmond for Swansea when he was on loan, and he was remarkable then. He remains remarkable now. Mm. So it's, it's, it's exciting to see Chelsea play the kids and have it work out. Uh, that said, we should note that with age comes wisdom, which is something today's sponsor would like uh, our listeners to know. Uh, but getting old can also be a downer, uh, and that's where 4Hims uh, has you covered. 4Hims is a new wellness brand for men. They're a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. Uh, and they would like you. It noted that 40% of men by age 40 struggle from not being able to get and maintain an erection. Uh, but 4 hims is here to offer our listeners uh, who may be interested a solution. There is indeed a solution. And lots of guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing yeah. when they're faced with this kind of situation, when instead they can turn to medicine and science. And that exactly is what 4 hims are bringing you. They mm-hmm. connect you with real licensed doctors and FDA-approved pharmaceutical products to treat ED. Uh, there's well-known generic equivalents named man, name brand prescriptions to help you combat ed and there's no snake oil sales or anything like that Mm -hmm. this is all this is all good stuff tay tay can, can I just list in the copy for a moment that there's no snake oil, you don't have to worry about expensive pills, and they've added uh, you don't have to get injections where no man wants an injection. Didn't realize that was a possibility. Certainly don't want that. So I agree with Four Hims that that is not a thing I want to have to worry about. No painful injections uh, or like other treatments that are out there. Mm. Uh, so you can stop worrying about multiple in-office doctor visits and also uh, needles going places that I never want a needle to go. I had an injection in my butt once. See, that's that that's that's standard, right? Aren't you supposed to do it there? It's like, I, don't, I, I mean, I wouldn't say this about your butt, Ryan, but is it a fairly like fatty, fatty area well, that kind of can absorb that a little bit? I'll tell you the situation. I was in Dubai, of all places, and my neck seized up. I couldn't turn my neck left or right. So I went to like well, the doctor in the hotel and I was like, she's, I'll give, give you a, an injection to, to relieve it. And I was like, OK, this is going in my neck. And uh, the next thing I know, it's not. <laughs> so hmm. it was a bit of a surprise. Interesting. All right. And there was a language barrier that prevented me from getting this information, I suppose. 
Oh, there's nothing more fun than having to mime medical symptoms uh, in a foreign country. It's great. Miming diarrhea, especially Ooh. fun. Luckily, uh, I, I, we don't have to worry about that. And luckily, uh, Hims makes it so that you don't have to worry about those painful injections we've been talking about. So our listeners can try Hims uh, today by starting out with a free online visit. Go to forhims.com slash total soccer ed. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer ed. That's all together. Forhims.com uh, slash Total Soccer ED. It looks like Total Soccer Ed, which looks like a class you might take at college. <laughs> One day, Ryan. One day. That's the next step. That's the next step in the process. There we go. Uh, you should see website for full details and safety information, but this could cost hundreds if you went to uh, if you went in person to the doctor's office or a pharmacy. So remember, that's forhims.com slash Total Soccer Ed, uh, which you can learn about uh, Total Soccer Show and then also uh, get uh, discounted rates uh, on your Forhims products. Absolutely. This is hard made easy. Say a lot to your little friend. <laughs> That's terrific, Ryan. That's so terrific, in fact, that I'm going to let you choose where we go next. Where you want to head? Oh, uh, let's go to Inter, Inter Milan versus Juventus. Right. How about that? Mm. How about that? The Derby d'Italia. Derby d'Italia. And this uh-huh. one is a pretty, a pretty, there's no love lost in this game, is there? I mean, no. um, these two teams, historic rivals. Uh, actually, on the Juventus English Twitter, they put out this very mocking video after the result, which was 2-1 to Juventus, we should say. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of an oops. This girl repeatedly saying, oops, we did it again. And then all these results of Juventus beating them, which is a bit tough. And um, obviously, there's bitterness going back to 2006, the Calciopoli scandal in which you've, uh, in which which Inter were awarded mm-hmm. the 2005-06 title because Juventus were naughty boys. And um, I believe earlier in this week, uh, Juve yep. appealed for the 30th time to have the yeah. Inter's 2006 title taken away. They've not let this one go. This is a uh, 2016 Hillary winning the election, not letting it go style <laughs> for the Italian soccer equivalent very much. And this one, a big result because it was the top two teams going at it. Juventus getting back on top with this result. This didn't go the way I expected it, Tato. I thought this had interwin written all over it, but what the heck do I know? Couple things. First of all, there's no better way to look uh, totally innocent and like you've learned your lesson than appealing 30 times. That's absurd. <laughs> just just accept it and move on. 31's the lucky one, I hear. Uh, yeah, the, let's fingers crossed if you're a Juve fan and if you're anyone else, probably not. Um, I, like... I hear what you're saying. I still have a hard time ever thinking that Juventus won't end up winning. So heading into this one, I really thought like, okay, this is going to be it. Like maybe this will be Inter's day. But it also does seem like Juve are this sort of unstoppable juggernaut, even if they haven't been uh, like top of the table until this point this season. Uh, but I do want to say it's a strong performance from Juve, obviously, on the road. And I want to give thumbs up to uh, uh, Sorry for this one, uh, yeah. for basically scaring Paulo D- uh, Dybala into thinking he might have to play for Manchester United <laughs> when the transfer window was still open. And that seems to have been the thing that terrorized him into buying into the system, playing very good soccer, obviously scoring the opening goal with uh, a, quite a little rip. A great hit from Paolo Dybala. A lovely goal there. Quite a little rip is a good mm-hmm. description. Of that. It was a lovely cross, cross, stri- uh, cross goal strike. Yeah. If that's what you can call it. But uh, no- Notable, by the way, all three goals scored by Argentines in this game. Hmm, isn't that fun? Um, and- Especially shocking when you realize that one of them was scored by Gonzalo Higuain. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a <laughs> fascinating uh, tactical here. 3-5-2 of Conte coming up against the 4-3-1-2 of, mm-hmm. uh, of Maurizio Sarri and obviously Sarri getting the better this one. It seemed like Juve had a ton of chances in this one, didn't it? And yeah, I, I don't know. I was I was expecting 
Inter to put up more of a fight. And this is, am I going to deign to give Lukaku a thumbs down here? I know I it's, you do. it feels a bit cliche. I might do it because it's another example of him not showing up yeah. against a bigger opponent. And, you know, he, there was a couple of instances where, I mean, he, there was a terrible through ball I can remember him putting through and uh, yeah, a, couple, yeah, yeah. a couple of moments where he should have scored and didn't. And I don't know, it just feels like it's kind of what we've come to expect from Lukaku, but I expected a little bit more of him in these circumstances, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I think that has always been sort of a criticism of him. He didn't do anything to dispel that notion here. I do think if you're an Inter fan or you want to see some variety in who wins Serie A, that may not be this season. But it's worth noting that like Juve, despite getting a new manager, having some new players come in, they still just have so much depth and talent that they're like even if if it's a new manager, you still expect that same level of consistency. Whereas mm-hmm. Inter, it's a new manager, it's new players, it's a change in style. It's a change in approach. And though they lost this game, I do think that Inter under, under Antonio Conte so far have looked a significantly better side, obviously. And I think maybe if we see them continue to develop and get a bit more familiarity and get a bit of rotation in there, maybe we see Romelu Lukaku sort of rise to the occasion uh, for the return leg of this one later on in the season. But again, maybe that's wishful thinking and optimism as opposed to rational thought, because there's also a decent chance by that, by that point, Juve are like 21 points ahead. Yeah, and, and just to come back to it, I, I was surprised that Inter didn't get a result because you look at their head-to-heads, I think before this, Inter had only lost one of their last four meetings with Juve at the centre, and obviously mm. they're in great form at the moment. I'd, I was just a bit surprised that they didn't. The, 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 the flow of the game went the way it did, I suppose. But coming back to that depth that Juve had, we've mentioned this before, but on their bench, Emre Chan, Gonzalo Higuain, Rabio, they got, they got Aaron Ramsey, wasn't even used. It's, I forgot they had Rabio. That's absurd. It's crazy. That's it's absurd. Crazy. They, they've easily got two good teams. They, they could have two top 10 teams. Easy. And they could. And I, and I ragged on him a little bit. You just mentioned him there. But I do have my final thumb from this game. Uh, goes up to Gonzalo Higuain for not missing horrifically. Instead, he scores the winner. And uh, the commentator, I'll give props to uh, the commentator for this one, uh, but not the commentator to the next game we're going to talk about. But in this one, he points out that when uh, Higuain gets the sort of return pass that sees him in a very strong attacking position, he takes a touch to settle. And then he takes just one more little tiny touch and then gets the shot off. And mm. that second little touch, pulls the goalkeeper out, but sets Iguain up perfectly to hit the ball exactly the way he wants. And that calmness in front of goal is something we haven't always seen from him, but we saw here like that clinical finishing and why they paid so much money for him so he can come in and score these big-time goals. Absolutely. So well done, Gonzalo Iguain. All that second-hand sorry smoke in his lungs isn't doing him any harm. <laughs> Yet. We'll see how it goes long-term. But right now, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, let's move to Spain. Another... Sort of surprising results, I guess. Uh, saw Madrid fairly dominant against Granada. Uh, Ryan, where are your thumbs here? Thumbs going right up for Eden Hazard. He got his mm-hmm. goal, baby, and it was a nicely taken one, wasn't it? It was a little lob over about three defenders trying to tackle him at the same time. Yep. Um, I, I, I mean, I feel, I feel good for Eden because he, he, I don't know him personally, but I have interviewed him before, and he's, he's lovely, uh, a lovely character, and deserves better than he's had so far. At Real Madrid, this was his. First, he hadn't even had a goal or assist before this point. A very poor start for Real Madrid, and I, uh, I wrote something last week in comparison to his uh, Chelsea last season. He was Player of the Month in September. He had six goals by the end of September, and obviously nowhere near that. He hadn't played as many minutes for Real, to be fair, but just looked mm-hmm. uh, completely unable to influence games, completely unfit as well. And it's a slightly different story uh, in this game. So good for Eden Hazard. Good for finally getting on the score sheet. That's going to do wonders for his confidence. 
what do you mean when you say he's like absolutely lovely? Like I'm I'm I'm, I'm just curious because I I think. Like I, I've asked questions to players in like mixed zones and coaches and press conferences, but I've never really sat down with a very prominent player like that. So I'm like, w- it, were his answers very interesting, or was he just very charming and polite? So I, I, I interviewed him at a Nike event in London, where I actually also mm-hmm. did interview with Pulisic, who was very nice too. But uh, Eden Hazard, um, I sat down with George Qureshi from uh, f- from the Athletic, uh, mm-hmm. asking a few serious questions. And he just had loads of time for us. He was very friendly. And then I had to, uh, for a certain outlet, wanted a bunch of fairly stupid questions asked. Not stupid. I I mean, like things like your favorite Mm. cartoon and that kind of stuff. And he was very game to do that kind of thing. He just seemed like, for all the ego you get in this game, and so he could have been very closed. And he was just very warm and open and smiley. And uh, from all accounts I get from other journalists I've spoken to, that's his character. He's lovely. So that's what I mean. And now the important question. Do you remember his favorite cartoon character? Uh, his favorite cartoon was The Simpsons, and we did some quotes. Okay. It was great. Okay, I'll allow that. I'll allow that. Um, and I will continue to give some thumbs from this one. Uh, I'm going to give a thumbs up to our, our old friend uh, Federico Valverde, who uh, is, I think, in the TSS Scouting Network, has been for quite some time, but came in and caused lots of problems for Granada. I think he, yes, he gets the assist for that Hazard goal, though Hazard did most of that by himself. But a strong performance in midfield from Valverde. A less strong performance from the color commentator. Uh, for the first goal, he was really trying to do his best uh, Ray Hudson uh, sort of approach. So when Benzema scores, uh, his line was, the goal was as wide as, then paused, then said, I don't know, a, a river mouth? <laughs> it's just like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta have these a bit more chambered, my friend. <laughs> like you, you, you can't really throw that one out there with quite that enthusiasm of Ray Hudson if you don't know where you're gonna land it. Didn't Hudson have a line, something like, it was as clean as Neutrogena or something beautiful like that in this one? <laughs> I like that. Oh, that man is... is Fun in small doses. That's <laughs> how I'm going to describe that. <laughs> yeah, he's lovely as well, actually. That's a different story. But um, what are we going to say about Gareth Bale in this game? Interestingly, a little tidbit we found out about Gareth Bale from the Club Bruges Champions League game uh, earlier in the week that he obviously wasn't in the squad, which was a surprise. And he arrived at the stadium four minutes after kickoff. Wow. Which is kind of a uh, I'm just here so I don't get fined kind of situation. It really it? is. Really, really is. Mm. I, I don't, I don't know what to make of Gareth Bale because for every moment that he looks sort of like he would be just as happy playing golf or is showing up late. I mean, that first goal for Benzema, it's, it's a good finish from him at the back post and he's got to be there and be smart, but it's a really, really lovely ball from Gareth Bale. It's kind of like outside of the foot, mm. but really driven, knows exactly where he's hitting it, knows exactly where he wants it to go. It's, it's, it looks like a golf shot almost. And it just, it was sort of a reminder of like, he's so good. What has gone wrong? Why can't he just be the best? But Why can't you like you him, guys? The... <laughs> yeah, Come on. I mean, I mean he, doesn't, I, he, just, he doesn't help himself. He's so, well, I'll definitely he say that. He's quite inoffensive, though, in general, don't you think? Yeah, but I think, like, not, not learning Spanish, not really trying to, like, blend into the culture very much or show mm-hmm. any sort of real enthusiasm for the culture, and then not having that, that next level of, like, no, I really want to play. I want to be out there. And instead, sort of like, yeah, eh, whatever. You know, if you don't like yeah. me, I'll go play golf. It's, it just, it's, it's frustrating to me because I want him to succeed because I really liked when he was at Tottenham when he kind of became that dominant player. And I liked him in the BBC and how dominant they were and how good he looked. It was fun to watch. Yeah. I don't really root for him. I don't really care, care about Real Madrid one way or the other, to be honest. But like, he's, just, he was just such a fun, electrifying player that he still has those flashes where you're just like, oh, right. He's super, super good. And then he just kind of like jogs around for a little bit after that. Yeah. 
It's a shame what's happening in in many ways. Like it could be so different. But can I can I also give a thumbs up to Granada here because you may. Uh, this was obviously a first versus second battle. Very unlikely that Granada were in yeah. this position before the game started. Uh, newly promoted team. I looked it up. They haven't finished in the top half since 1974. Uh, Real Madrid's budget is 18 times bigger than theirs, and this was almost you know this is almost a game where they got a point out of it Madrid mm-hmm. three nil up it got very close to getting to 3-3 before James um killed it off in injury time so full credit to Granada for coming at Madrid and almost almost getting right back into this one uh, I like to see sort of an underdog do that kind of thing I mean how can you call Granada the underdog when they brought in the likes of Gonalan uh, Vadillo and Carlos Fernandez when all Madrid had to rely on were Luka Modric Isco and James Rodriguez that's pretty much the same thing quite yeah you're right you're right even scales <laughs> Even scales. Indeed, one more European matchup before we turn to Major League Soccer. Let's talk Bayern 1, Hoffenheim 2. Ah, uh, again, not the, re- the result, not really the result we saw coming this weekend, but here it is, Bayern dropping points at home. Yeah, big thumbs down to Bayern for dropping those points. Uh, the Bundesliga, by the way, remains insanely competitive, doesn't it? It's very few games. But I think it was it six points between the top mm-hmm. 11 now. Five teams have 14 points, one of them being Bayern, who are now in third uh, on goal difference. Uh, Bayern Munich, by the way, they had 20 shots in this match, uh, 64% possession. Wow. They were at home to Hoffenheim. Mm-hmm. And they still come away with the L. They're still tasting that L. Maybe being a little bit more clinical would have helped them because Hoffenheim sort of it felt like executed the Wolves' game plan, mm. uh, like similar to what they did against uh, City. Just the like try to play a little bit, sit back when you need to, and break on the counter and frustrate Bayern. And there was definitely some moments of like just a little like leaving in a foot after a challenge. There was definitely a little physicality trying to knock Bayern, I think, off of their game plan a bit. But to your point about the title race. It's it's a really exciting league. Yeah. Uh, the Premier League has been sort of insane so far this season. The Bundesliga, I believe I'm correct in saying, uh, with Gladbach on top of the table, we've had four different teams on top. Uh, we're seven weeks into the season. That's, again, not normally a thing we, we've come to expect from the Bundesliga. And that's even with Borussia Dortmund sort of struggling right now. They're like for, way further back on the table, not in the European places right now. Uh, but just how many teams seem capable of taking points off of uh, others and how many seem capable of dropping points to others uh, makes the Bundesliga extra, extra fun this season. So much parity. I love the parity. It's great. But also, I love the fact that the Bayern are in third. And they've got a striker mm-hmm. after seven games who has 15 goals. That's insane. Goodness me. That's uh, that's Carlos Vela numbers right there. Very much so. Do you see what I'm doing here? I love I'm transitioning it. I us to Major it. League I Soccer. It I feel it. We're going to do, it was decision day, uh, uh, this, this evening, this afternoon. Uh, I have not watched every single MLS game, uh, that was critically important to the playoff, uh, scenario. But what I do have is, is lots of sort of, uh, rapid fire thumbs that go up and down for various moments from the weekend. <laughs> Ryan, I'm guessing you've got a couple in there too. And I'm going to start with LAFC, uh, the aforementioned Carlos Vela, uh, a scissor kick in there, gets the hat trick in a 3-1 win over the Colorado Rapids, which eliminates them from the playoffs, but also ensures that Carlos Vela breaks the single season scoring record 34 goals in 30 games ryan that's more than one goal a game which i don't know if you know this or not is good that's a good rate of return i would say i agree with you (laughs) i mean this is one instance where i feel sorry for zlatan finishing on a paltry 30 which would have been good enough for this record in many seasons gone by yep you feel bad for him there and he also got a nice goal didn't he um on decision day so good for him for that one can i can i move on vast uh quickly to uh texas 
to Dallas? Yeah, you, you may. I just want to say uh, real quick, thumbs up to LAFC. Uh, record points, 72 in a single season. Mm. Uh, probably won't mean as much if they don't end up uh, making MLS Cup, if not winning MLS Cup, but still record points, record goals. A decent season for LA. Now let's move to Texas. So dominant, LAFC. Good for them. Um, yeah, let's move to Texas. Uh, Dallas are getting a 6-0 over Kansas, securing... Mm-hmm that playoff spot in the West in style, I would say. Although, I mean, Kansas haven't been great this season and they, watching through the highlights of this one, mm-hmm. some of their defending left a lot to be desired. And if you thought Tottenham's back line was slow, check out Kansas. Um, also, notable this game because the stadium looked kind of Man City after 80 minutes a little bit. Yes, that's uh, that's FC Dallas's sort of situation right now. Yeah. Uh, I think I forget how far Frisco is outside of Dallas, but it's not particularly close. Yeah. So that certainly doesn't help. And then sort of having an, an unspectacular finish to the season probably hasn't either. Though six goals at home, uh, two of which were in the first twelve minutes. That's a good way to sort of emphatically say, "No, we belong in the playoffs." So I'll, I'll definitely give them that, that thumbs up. I'll give Portland the same thumbs up. Portland with a three to one win over San Jose, who were the other teams sort of vying for that spot uh, in the West or one of the spots in the West, but it ends up being Portland and Dallas. The teams that were most likely to go through end up going through, and now we have our our brackets secure. Ryan, I'm going to run through them very quickly, if you don't mind, just in case people haven't seen. We've got uh, Minnesota versus the LA Galaxy. Minnesota home to the Galaxy. The Galaxy dropping points allows that to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, RSL, Real Salt Lake taking on uh, Portland, or hosting Portland, I should say. Seattle hosting Dallas. LAFC getting the uh, first round by in the West. In the East, NYCFC. Obviously getting the first round by Toronto, getting the results on on the day. DC United doing the opposite of that, which means Toronto hosts a playoff game. Uh, Philadelphia hosts the New York Red Bulls and Atlanta hosts New England. Uh, one thumb I want to give up from those games uh, I just mentioned, or at least one of the teams I just mentioned, I'm giving thumbs way down to DC United. Uh, a win against FC Cincinnati would have seen them secure a playoff spot or a home playoff match. Excuse me. Uh, as Pablo Mar tweeted, DC United somehow just set an MLS all time record for for consecutive shutouts while failing to beat the worst team in MLS history who were playing with nine men, costing themselves a home playoff match. Woof, says Paolo, or Pablo. Excuse me. I agree. Thumbs down to DC United for that one. Woof, woof, indeed. Mm-hmm. So, okay, an inevitable question for you, Tate. Yeah. Who's claiming MLS Cup? I mean, obviously, uh, the, the three favorites, uh, NYCFC, mm-hmm. Los Angeles and Atlanta, I presume. And Atlanta, I think, actually the bookie's favorite uh, at the moment. So where, where, where do you fall? I mean, Joseph Martinez uh, returning, I believe starting and definitely scoring. Uh, that's got to make Atlanta fans feel pretty optimistic. I see them uh, being more than capable of getting past New England. Philadelphia have been have been shaky. They they were once atop the East. Now they're in third uh, playing the Red Bulls. That one's a bit of a toss up, I doubt. Either one of them ends up making the final the way I thought maybe one of them would instead. I wouldn't be surprised to see NYCFC versus Atlanta, especially because it's just the one-game format means you don't have the opportunity to kind of come back and find a way to get one uh, when you're playing at home uh, and try to shut things down on the road. So I would go with like the favorites of uh, NYCFC versus Atlanta in the East. LAFC seem very dominant. Mm. Uh, I would I would not mind, nor would Major League Soccer, an LAFC-NYCFC final, but I really, really want LAFC-Atlanta. In the final, I think that would be a terrific game to watch uh, for a number of different reasons. Yeah, for the, for the spectacle of it, I think I agree with yeah. you there. But my, my pick is uh, DC United to grind out 1 0 wins all the way. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're getting knocked out in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more thumb uh, from the MLS action. Uh, thumbs down to Josie Altador, but like a, a, a sad, understanding thumbs down. Subs off with injury uh, in Toronto's uh, victory, uh, the final game of the regular season. Seems very likely that he's then going to have to withdraw. Uh, we'll miss the international break, which means we may end up seeing some of the familiar names who people don't necessarily love to see starting up top for the U.S. national team in their two CONCACAF Nations League games. Uh, and just for the headlines that that's going to generate and the angry tweets that will be written, I'm giving Josie Altador a thumbs down. Are you, are you inferring that we love to see Josie Altador? Uh, I think people would be more okay with Josie Altador starting than they would say Jossie's artist. Really? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think even though Josie has his issues and has been intermittent and has the injury history, I still think he is a significantly better striker than many other players in this pool. Jesse Zardes being one of them. I don't have any animosity towards Jesse Zardes. I understand to some extent why Greg Berhalter calls him in because of the existing relationship, because Jesse Zardes does what Berhalter wants and has the personality that Berhalter wants for this squad. But that said, like you, you know his limitations. We've seen his limitations. Josie Altador, we know, can do big things in moments when they need to happen. It's been a while since he did that consistently, yeah. I would argue, and that is definitely frustrating. But I was excited to see Josie Altador back uh, playing for the U.S. And, and looking strong and rounding into playoff form. Instead, it seems like that's unlikely to happen. Fair enough. And I like Josie because he's in one of the best sports power couples with Sloane Stevens here. You know, soccer and women's tennis. My two interests crossing over, baby. Oh yeah, speaking of which, we should we should say it is a massive credit to Ryan for uh like coming on the show as late as he has. It is now almost eleven o'clock uh as we're recording. And Ryan has uh, again, I think a very full day ahead of him. I'm not even gonna exaggerate <laughs> the number of hours. Ryan, what's your coverage like tomorrow? Uh I think I start at six tomorrow, but I was up at four AM watching uh mm-hmm. tennis in Beijing this morning and writing about it. So an early morning uh, this morning, an early morning tomorrow, a late evening tonight. But I very much appreciate it, Ryan, because we were able to talk about many, many things from this past weekend. And I, and I look forward to doing it next weekend as well. Absolutely. I love it. And I didn't even fall asleep during Peppa Pig Live, by the way. Give me credit for that. Ex- except I should add, I will give you credit for that. I should add it's international break. So probably not next Monday, but the Monday after that, definitely back for some weekend review. I would love that. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. And until then, I hope you get to see Peppa Pig a couple more times. <laughs> and I'm going to need accent reports throughout. Hello, Governor. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore being on your show. <laughs> it sounds authentic to me. You should be in there. I think you've got a, fu- a future in Peppa Pig, my friend. Yeah, I'm going to audition for the part of Danny Dog. Thank you very much. I know nothing about Peppa Pig, but that sounds good. Ryan Bailey, thank you very, very much for taking the time. It is always appreciated. Always a pleasure. Never a chore.